But in light of, you know, the word we've been receiving for some of y'all who haven't been here uh, over the past few weeks, uh, God has really been speaking to this congregation. Uh, and he always seems like forewarns us about things that are coming and what we need to, to do in, in expectation of what might be happening in the future. So uh, in, the, in the past few weeks, God has been speaking to us relative to like some of the things that are going on in the Middle Eastern conflict. And I don't know if you guys are staying on top of things, watching the news and seeing what's going on. There's a lot still going on. Israel just uh, Israel just started their ground. Um, yeah. They just started. Yep, started Friday. They started going on in there. So they've been bombing um, Hamas places in Gaza, uh, trying to take out some of the Hamas leaders. Uh, now on, the, on Jordan, Jordan, on the northern border, now there, there's some conflict going on there. You even have the, the United States getting involved now, shooting down missiles and all that. There's been um, rocket fire and stuff going, mortar, mortars launched back and forth across the border. And, you know, the Hezbollah there on uh, that side of the northern uh, 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 border of uh, Gaza, uh, the Hezbollah is supported by Iran. And uh, Iran, with their Republican Guard, man, that's, that's not a weak army. Iran is not Iraq. Iran is not a Afghanistan. You know, so we're seeing things escalate. And you, you've seen the United States had to shoot down a missile that was shot, that was headed toward um, Israel. They shot down two missiles headed toward Israel early this week. So you see this thing intensifying. And... You know, when you read scripture, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. I mean, we, we, see, we, we see from scripture, it's like reading the paper now. So we see uh, a, a lot of different, even Yemen. Yemen is a small country, but Yemen, you know, you have the Hezbollah is, act, is really active over there. So you remember it was in Yemen where they ran up on one of them American uh, ships and blew a hole in it. You know, so conflict there is nothing new. So we see all these things going on. And, you know, we've been discussing them here every week. And when we discuss the end times, you know, some of us can become a bit uncomfortable, you know? I mean, and anxious, maybe even, maybe even fearful, you know, if we're truthful about it. And, no, I know it's not, you know... It, I know it's not that you, you know, you don't look forward to eternity with Christ. I know that's not the case with your Savior or that you're some kind of irredeemable, you know, person clinging to this world. No, I don't think that's, the, that that's something that can be said in most cases. Often, with most of us, one of three things that I want to highlight, one of three things can easily provoke the kind of anxiety that a lot of us experience. And I'm gonna name them for you. Number one, uncertainty. Do you know when things seem to be precarious or ambiguous or unclear, um, they can really cause a lot of anxiety. Number two, and this is a big one, um, drastic change. 
you know, Dr. Dan Brenham, MD, he, he wrote an article in uh, uh, WebMD, and he wrote this. He says, stress caused by drastic and sudden change may have many physical and mental symptoms that can hurt your overall well-being if you aren't able to manage them in a positive way. Listen to some of these symptoms. It's crazy. This is just from drastic change. Headaches, trouble sleeping or insomnia, digestive problems and stomach aches, muscle tension and back aches, high blood pressure, heart problems, depression or anxiety, irritability, eating too much, eating too little, alcohol or drug abuse. All of this. And I'm only on number two. And that's drastic change. Number three is a, a big word, is a $3 word called xenophobia. You want me to spell it? Start with an X. X-E-N-O-P-H-O-B-I-A. Or it's better known as fear of the unknown. You know, those with fear of, of, of the unknown may experience significant distress and anxiety surrounding, you know, which surrounding that which is unknown or uncertain and may go to great lengths to seek certainty, even if it comes at a personal cost. As we can see from the symptoms mentioned here, any one of these three by themselves is enough to create some level of stress. Just any one of these. But when you experience all three at the same moment in time, what is stirred up is often described as fear. Now, if you know what I know, there's no predicting what a, a person suffering from fear will do. One thing I learned growing up, that the scaredest person is the one you want to watch out for. There's no predictability with a scared person to do. They'll lash out at somebody. They ain't got nothing to do with what's going on. Fear. Now, you've heard of fight or flight response. You know, it's because some people, they may stand and fight. Or even lash out, like I said, if somebody ain't got nothing to do with the problem. And others, they just might break out and run. But the scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You ain't got to go there. I'm going to read this. It says of, of believers, of us, and this is in the English Standard Version. I read the ESV now lately. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you wasn't here Wednesday night, okay? All right, so we talked a little bit about self-control, right? You mind if I, and Jesse mentioned the fact that he said, you know, he, and, 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 and correct me if I get it wrong, uh, Jesse talked about um, how he tried to control some things in his life and how he was practicing some, you know, self-control and how he was wanted to let some things go and not try to practice so much self-control, but let God handle some things for him. And I mentioned to him, I said, well, Jesse, you know, self-control ain't a bad thing. You know, uh, temperance is a fruit of the spirit. And temperance is self-control. You know, God doesn't mind you practicing self-control, but he just wants it to come from him. You know, he wants that to emerge as a fruit of his Holy Spirit. 
So we see here that he says that God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Temperance, self-control. If it is birthed, well, it is birthed out of the Holy Spirit. And as I said, control is not a bad thing when it's received from God. This is why the scriptures say in that same book of Galatians, it says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In the same, that's in the same chapter. But it is clear from scripture, believers are empowered to have a soundness of mind. And that the world does not, I venture to say, cannot have. That's the, the cannot have. We have soundness of mind. The world can't have that. Then the question come, becomes to us, why then am I so often filled with so much anxiety? The answer was actually reviewed in last week's sermon. Should have been here last week. <laughs> Pastor actually put the answer out there. Um, priority and perspective. I named, I called this sermon, uh, I called this Re Reformation by Perspective. You know, sticking with the Reformation theme. So as I said, it's, it's, it's clear from Scripture that believers are supposed to have a soundness of mind. And the answer uh, to why we have so much anxiety um, was preached last week, priority and perspective. When our, now Pastor said, when our perspective changes, what we prioritize will change as well. That is a fact. Let me share something with you I read last week. All right, now it's from a book written by Erwin Lutzer. And the book is called Failure, The Backdoor to Success. And this is written by Erwin Lutzer. Erwin Lutzer. And uh, his last name is spelled L-U-T-Z-E-R. The book, again, is called Failure, The Backdoor to Success. And let me read. Let me tell you what he says about perspective. A man who was losing his memory. You hear this? He must be talking about me. A man who was losing his memory went to his doctor for advice. Now, he received this diagnosis from the doctor. He said, we cannot help your memory without impairing your eyesight. Mm-hmm, it's crazy. Now, the doctor told him, now the choice is yours. Would you rather be able to see or to remember? Now, the man thoughtfully replied, he said, frankly, I'd rather have my eyesight than my memory. He said, you see, I'd rather see where I'm going than remember where I've been. Oh, that's oh, that a preach right there. He said, I'd rather see where I'm going than remember where I've been. So we're talking about perspective. When you can see something different, you can be something different. I don't, I know where I've been. I know where I've been. I'd rather know where God has taken me. Woo! I, I don't mind forgetting some of that stuff back there. Come on. Perspective. I asked the question on Wednesday night. How is it that Jesus, and, and I'm, I'm, I got to make sure I find my line. 
How is it that Jesus, whom we see in Luke chapter, now you can write this down because I'm not going to go over the whole, but I want you to be able to go back, look at it for yourself. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 44. And that's where it was talking about Jesus, what he, what he was about to endure with thoughts so agonizing an angel came and ministered to him. And it's stated in the scripture that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. How was he able, knowing what was coming, knowing how painful it was going to be, how agonizing, that the father was going to have to turn his back on him, that he was going to have to carry the sin of the whole world. Do you know how agonizing he, he knew what was getting ready to happen? How could he go through it knowing how hard and painful that was going to be. Turn quickly to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I want you to, because I want you to see this for yourself. When you dare, say amen. And it says, therefore. Now, y'all know what I say. When you see the word therefore, don't just start running off. Because the word therefore, what am I about to say? Okay, I don't know what y'all said. Anyway, <laughs> the, <laughs> the word therefore means that you are coming to the conclusion of the previous thought. Okay? So now, the previous thought, it was, you know, that's the Faith Hall of Fame over there, chapter 11. You know, where it talks about by faith, this one, by faith, by faith, and then it gets to the end of the chapter. And it starts talking about how these people were martyred, how they were sawn in half, you know, and set on fire and, and thrown the lions and how these people still died in faith and how these people were a great witness to us of faith. And when it finishes that up, it says right here, it starts here. Therefore, in light of all these martyrs and how these people died and these great witnesses of faith, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so easily and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now look at what it says in verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Looking to who? Looking to who? The founder and perfecter of our faith. You might have the author and the finisher. Who for the what? who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen what it says to do. Consider. You know what that word considers means? Yeah, that, yeah that's it. See, y'all smart. Think about. Meditate on. Roll that around in your mind. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? He gives you the answer why you should do it. So that you, not him, he already in glory. It said, looking unto Jesus, it says, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. When the word of God exhorts us to consider or meditate on the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ? It tells us that doing so will prevent the weariness 
and the nervousness and the fear that happens when we do not consider him. Changing your perspective, looking away from the foolishness, from all of the craziness in the world, and considering him who endured not a light affliction, he endured, you remember pastor was up here talking about all the stuff he went through last week. If y'all didn't get it, you, you can go get Podbean and, you know, I don't want to preach it over. But she talked about how he was on the cross, how he's poked in the side, nails in his hands. And, you know, and out of everything that he was physically going through, the thing he wanted, the thing he said he needed was something to drink. He said, I thirst. I'd have been like, I'm hurting. Man, y'all beating me with nails and all kind of stuff. I got a crown of thorn on my head. You know, I'm up here suffocating to death. He said, I thirst. But you remember pastor said that. If you, need, you need to go back and get that message. But when the word of God exhorts us to consider Christ, when we don't consider him, that's when we grow weary and our hearts get faint. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. You can write these down. If you can get there fast, you can go. Because we're going to cover some scripture here. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Say amen when you get there. Okay, that also says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ? All right, you've been raised, so it's talking about you. If then you have been raised with Christ. What are you to do? Seek the things that are above. It's talking about your perspective. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. I'll say it again. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, he's your life now. You, 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 you dead. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, verse 2 of this scripture instructs us to have an eternal perspective. And not one that is focused on this temporal world. Jesus said in John 14, 2, in my father's house are many rooms, are many mansions, as some uh, 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 translations say. And he said, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you will be also. Church, you need to remind yourself as often as you can that Christ says, I am going to prepare a place for you. Repeat this after me. Christ has prepared a place for me. Say it again. Christ has prepared a place for me. One more time. Christ has prepared a place for me. You need to remember, this is not your home. 
You don't live here. You passing through here. He's promised you, I prepared a place for you, and I'm going to have you there with me and the Father. Your perspective has to shift. See yourself as Christ sees you, as one who is on his way to glory. You're just passing through here. Oh, you're just passing through here. I said this, I said this Wednesday, what was it, Wednesday night? When I said this Wednesday night, it's because this was one of the most impactful things somebody ever said to, uh, that I read. And it was funny how it was written by a woman. But women ain't, oh, oh, what women ain't never got nothing to say, huh? Funny, it was written. I'm, I'm serious, man. And this, is, this was one of the most impactful things I ever read in my life that I'm getting ready to read to y'all. Y'all felt it when I said it Wednesday night. I'm going to say it again. The, 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 the woman said this. And, I, and this is still impresses me till this day. She said, this is the only time in history when I get to fight for God. This is the only part of my eternal story when I am actually in the battle. Once I die, I'll be in celebration mode, in a glorified body, in a whole different set of circumstances. But this limited window of opportunity and I'm going to fight the good fight for all I'm worth. Woo! Ain't that powerful? Woo! You gotta hear, you hear this perspective? You hear the perspective of this woman? Let me tell you about this woman. She is a quadriplegic and has been almost all her life. This woman has no use of her limbs. No, no, can't use her legs, can't use her arms. And she out here, man, her, her ministry is making impact all over the world. She's one of, one of the most powerful ministers of the gospel that I know. And all she, she uses her mouth to paint pictures and all this kind of stuff. She goes around the world with people who don't have shoes, making sure they have shoes. People who don't have legs, making sure they're getting artificial limbs. And this woman has been paralyzed since she was like 19, 20 years old. And she's about my age right now. And she's a powerful witness for Christ. Perspective, people. Perspective. This woman doesn't see this place as her home. So she can witness so powerfully. Because her witness is from heaven. Woo, man, I'm about to shout up here. <laughs> her name, just so you know. Johnny Erickson Tata. Y'all heard me talk about her before. Uh, Johnny J-O-N-I <laughs> Erickson Tata. Her last name is Tata. If you put in Johnny and put in Tata, you're going to get it in Google. <laughs> now, you might say, look here, preacher. That all sound good. Okay? But when I leave out this place today, it's going to be a lot of people, work, and other things fighting for my attention. And it's hard out here for a saint. <laughs> Somebody said that earlier. Somebody said that earlier. We also talked about Wednesday night, the effects of social media and people with short attention spans. I even find myself, man, I mean... I. I don't hardly watch TV no more. 
I mean, like, I'm, I stream, like, I watch YouTube and, you know, I'm watching stuff on, on my phone or, you know, I just stream it to the TV. But I don't, I don't, I don't watch much TV anymore. Any of y'all fall into that same thing? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get it. So, yeah, our attention is basically had by a lot of these other things. And y'all know that it's, social media can be a dangerous, dangerous place. Especially, like, for, for children, even for adults. Not just for children, but for adults, too. You know, we have to check ourselves and see what's going on. So I know how it is, you know, to have not just social media, but, to, you know, to have to work, to have to go to school, to have to do, you know, papers, all kind of stuff. And then you got responsibilities at the church after that. I know it can be trust. Trust me, I get it. And I know that shifting your priorities will come because of the work God does in you when you focus on him. So, to help you with a starting place, all right, I've pinpointed, I've pinpointed some practical steps okay. that I, I didn't make these up. They're outlined in the word of God, okay? So, I can't even take credit for them. <laughs> but I pinpointed some steps for you. Something, man, that you could actually, you know, walk out once you leave here. Now, turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 8 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. When you're there, say amen. amen. All right. And it says, finally, brothers, that means y'all sisters too. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see this. I want you to look at the focus and how he puts, and how, just how he puts this. He said, whatever is true. It's it, it, it just focus, focus, focus. This is like a checklist. That we should, I come back to this a lot. This is like a checklist that we should come back to like all the time. I've used it over and over and over and over again. It's like today. And this is like a practicable, you know, it's something that you can that you can actually put in practice. The repetition of whatever, 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 whatever is helpful. Because it sort of drives home each one. And then the next verse comes to like something practical, like a how-to approach. When he says, and the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, 
practice these things? Now, that's quite a statement. You know, Paul, he, he didn't say the things you've seen in Christ because they haven't seen Christ. He's gone. He's been raised and ascended. But now on this earth is a model that they can follow. His name is Taliba Durham. No, his name is Paul. <laughs> no, but you see how she puts her life out there like that. Now, now, now see, some folks, some, some folks think Paul was being braggadocious. You know, like he was, that, that wasn't being prideful. You know, what other model they got? Okay? So he's like, you know, what you guys seen and, and learned and received and heard and seen of me, practice these things. Now, it, it was amazing that he didn't say, but Paul said, it's amazing he didn't say the things you've seen in Christ. Paul is not hesitant at all to say these are things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. I like the fact he wasn't hesitant about it. He said, practice them and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I want to take these six words. There's six words in here I want to amplify because you might get a different meaning from them in Greek than you get from like English. And I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of deep Greek terms. I'm going to just briefly touch on some of these. But it helps give you a clear understanding of what the, the apostle was trying to communicate here. There's really about eight notable things when you get into uh, to the ninth verse. But the first one is in verse eight. It says, whatever is true. I could say a lot about this. I mean, I, I had, there was a lot I wanted to say on this particular point. Whatever is true, be a truth seeker. Be a truth teller regarding scripture. Be honest with your brothers and sisters. Be honest with each other. Don't start relationships based on lies. You know, man, you, you, come on, y'all be, when folks be meeting each other, you don't even be meeting that real person. You be meeting like their emissary, you know, like their representative. You, man, because folks be fronting, man. Now, and then you get mad, then you get mad when, you know, they carrying on as usual when you was dating. Now you mad? You said you like football. Oh, you were fronting when we was dating. Oh, I, I, yeah, I like football. I like what you like. And the dudes be, don't laugh, Tori. The dudes be fronting too. You be fronting too. You be acting like, oh, I love the arts. You don't love no arts. You don't even do cartoons. <laughs> I love the arts. Lying to each other. You, you can't start out that way and then think, you, you know, things is just going to be okay later. You got to tell the truth. Hey, it's hard to tell it. Where the truth at? Start there. So, if, that's, and if it's true, go there. And if you don't, listen, here's another one. If you don't want to be committed to the truth, do yourself a favor. Don't go in the ministry. Don't do it. If you want to mess around with falsehoods and lies, ministry ain't for you. Man, I'm telling you. I'm going to tell one pastor here. I mean, I'm, our first MIT class, I witnessed this. I ain't going to mention the person's name. 
But we had a big MIT class too, man. It was, well, that thing got cut down. I think about five, six of us graduated. <laughs> we had a big MIT class when it started. But you know, that road was a couple years long. But pastor wasn't playing, man. We had a paper to turn in, man. And one dude, he plagiarized that joint and turned it in. Like she wasn't going to find out. I don't know what kind of tool she got on that computer, but she figured it out. And then she came out here and asked him to his face. Did you plagiarize this paper? And he lied. Boy, she kicked him out of here like a soccer ball in Atlanta United. <laughs> out of here. She got that boy. <laughs> you know what they said? I, I seen Satan fall like lightning from heaven. <laughs> I seen that boy. <laughs> she got that boy out of here. <laughs> she, she ain't play. You can't play around in ministry, man. You can't start out lying and fronting. If you're not going to be committed to telling truth from scripture, to be able to, you know, take scrutiny, you ain't going to, you're going to fold. When somebody disagree with you, you're going to fold. And you're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine because why? You ain't standing on truth. If, and I, talk, I, I talked about that point long enough. But if, and here's a big if, but if the truth draws you and you're challenged by it and you find yourself like deep down inside loving it, then ministry might be for you. It might be for you. That ain't the only prerequisite, but, you know, <laughs> after whatever is true, we see the word honorable. Now, that is a tough word from the Greek to handle. In the English, it carries with it, uh, says one writer, the dignity of holiness. Now, I like those words. The dignity of holiness. It includes having proper motives, manners, and morals. Our world is filled with a bunch of filthy things and stuff that's flippant and shallow and frivolous and cheap and vulgar. There are a lot of so-called influencers, influencers out there, podcast hosts, that model all of these things I just mentioned, all of those, all of the above. They think to be funny or relevant, you have to be filthy. Me and uh, Stefan, we was riding one day and we had a conversation about Charleston White. People listen to this cat, man. They actually think that this dude has something to say. And I'm like, he's so vulgar in what he says. He says some of the most outlandish things and you know what it's about. It's about clicks, likes, you know, all this kind of stuff. But there are people who actually consider what this man has to say is valuable. What about this old, I ain't going to call her no name. Remember we talked about that girl, Sucky Hana? We talked about her. I mean, man, these, these, this, this is ridiculous, what we see out here. And I can't believe that people see some of these people as their influencers. This is the kind of people that the world is looking up to now. Look at who the world, look at who the world values as people that they ought to respect and look up to. And it is terrible. But this is what this is what we've come to. My elders used to say, 
when you have to use a bunch of dirty words, it means your vocabulary is limited. When you are a person who is honorable, you don't weaken your reputation by dipping into what's coarse and questionable and cheap. Probably the best idea of this Greek word, the best idea of this word in Greek is being worthy of, res of others' respect. I like that. Being worthy of others' respect is honorable. Now that was the second word. Now the third word. The third word is just. In the Greek, this particular word here, being fair, it's like saying being fair and square in our dealings with others. As the young folks say, keeping it a buck. <laughs> Whether it's believers or unbelievers. Whether it has to do with turning in your papers or paying your bills. Being just with others. Being just with others. There's an old word that comes from this word. Just. And this old word is called upstanding. Now, the Ritz-Carlton has as its motto. I used to work for them. The Ritz-Carlton has as its motto. You can ask anyone who works for the organization, anybody, walking around the halls, it's a, they have a very simple motto, and they carry a card in either a purse, or I used to keep that thing like in my chef jacket, I lost it like the first week there. And you, and you keep it in your purse or in your pocket, and you can ask them, you know, you can ask them, hey, hey, could you show me what the, the motto of the hotel is? And it states, and it's real simple, it says, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Now I know that's simple. It, it, it don't hit like we are a family of believers building the empire of Christ. It don't hit like that. <laughs> they needed some help, man, with that, didn't they? <laughs> uh, it don't hit like that, but one thing I, I admired about that company, and one time, let me tell you something, they have a pristine reputation. I got a job at one, at one uh, hotel just because when I went in, the executive chef worked at the Ritz-Carlton, and he found out I worked at the Ritz. Man, when I worked at the Ritz, I opened the Ritz-Carlton in downtown Atlanta in 1984. And that's when that hotel opened. I was in there. I was working, um, what's the name of the, the restaurant? I was working the cafe in there. And um, the things I learned in there, the stand about standards, setting the standards, and bringing everybody else up, to that standard and not lowering those standards, that's the thing you learn in there. I'm going to tell you something, man. They, The way they uh, handle things, they don't play. Like if you work room service and they come in there in the morning and you left trays outside of people's room that night, you ain't got a job that evening. They're not having it. They're not, they don't have that there. That kind of stuff does not go on. And the quality of the food, I mean, I had a guy, was that when I had, yeah, I had a dude named Eve Menoret. He was a French guy. And this guy didn't like nothing American. If you're not French, you know nothing. You know that this dude, you know, one of them guys. And I had this, I had this French guy. And this dude, man, you, he'd have you compose a whole plate. 
you compose the whole plate. You got it put together. It looks nice and everything. And he'll come by. He won't even say nothing. He'll just pick the plate up, throw it in the trash, and say, start over. <laughs> yeah, that's what you had to deal with. They had a certain standard, man, and if you didn't meet it, you know, look, you starting over. You, you got to attain that standard. So I learned something there about standards, upholding a standard, keeping things the, a, a particular way. And the Ritz-Carlton is just like that. So, yeah, it's a simple, yeah, it's a simple motto. But in that sense, I'd call it a just or upstanding motto. Now, the next word we see is pure. Now, you see, you see that one? Okay. It means morally undefiled. Maintaining a mind that is scrubbed clean. This, this, is the, this is what the Greek terminology means. De deliberately resisting all sensual excursions. Let me speak frankly. When you were trusted, whether as a minister, MIT, lay member, because people around you feel like they can trust you, you may be given privacy that very few positions in life will allow. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of examples, all right? And I'm not talking about, you know, shouldn't nobody be meeting in private with nobody but pastor in here. Let's get that straight, first of all, okay? Y'all know, even if you come to my house, you better come like Noah's Ark, two by two, one with me, one with you. You ain't just, anybody come, all these ladies have been to my house, they'll tell you ain't none of them coming in there when if I'm there alone. You got to drop stuff off like DoorDash. You ain't coming in there. Uh -uh, I ain't having no. <laughs> I, I, I ain't going to have nobody saying nothing happen. Uh-uh, man. Don't think you're going to bash my daughter. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but let me tell you something. Like, and I'm not just talking about those kind of situations, right? You know, because you're living for Christ and people know it. I mean, you'll get pulled aside others just for like your advice. Like the thing I told you about the call this morning in, in Sunday school. Just like I was saying in Sunday school, like I, that, the guy that called me this week, um, it was April. I, I, you, she came here to church a long time ago. The sister that passed away, her son called me and asked me, you know, crying and all that. I talked about it in Sunday school this morning. Just like that. And, and, and I told you before, I had my boss come into my office, shut the door, you know, and just start telling me about a cancer diagnosis. I had, a, and I told you all about the guy. I'm going about my business at work, walking through the building. This man pulled me aside and told me he was thinking about murdering his girlfriend. No, he he got a lot of guns. So I knew when he said he he was thinking about really killing this girl. I was like, man, this dude really got the means to do, to do it because the girl was pregnant, and he was feeling like his whole life was over. If you see the way that boy love that baby now. Oh, he loves that baby. He can't go nowhere without that baby girl. But you see how people, you know, in, in these situations, like they know that you can get a prayer through to God. They know you serving the Lord. They watching your life. You think they ain't watching you. These people are watching your life. And because of that, you'll get afforded a, a particular type of privacy that other people may not. But you have to guard it. In certain positions in the ministry or when you are outside these four walls, 
when you're outside of here, you are really on your own. And if accountability is to happen, it's got to be volunteered on your part. And look, I urge that you maintain a sense of purity because we can so get so easily set adrift and hormones being what they are and physical beauty being what it is. There is great temptation to move into this realm mentally and before long, image becomes actions that works its way out in the pornography of maybe on the internet as well as a secret life that's lived out only to be found out and believe me, I learned from facilitating support groups years ago. If you get into that, you will be found out, and the heartbreak is beyond description. I, I, trust me. For your family, for your circle of friends, for your children who trusted you, your, for your congregation who believed in you, for, for the husband of the wife you messed around with, or vice versa, and all the more reason to guard against weather, all the more reason to guard against whatever may lead to compromise. And it is always appropriate, always to guard. So I said this when I was younger. I was younger at one time. And now that I'm older, I said with the same if not more vibrant passion, resist those sensual excursions. Stay out of conversations that are sensual. Don't get into them. You know what the men's fellow we was talking about, why are you setting yourself up? The only one here, I said this already, I actually wrote it and put it in here to make sure I said it. The only one here that should be in, in counseling situations is the pastor. I wanted to make sure I said that. Don't put yourself in situations that can go left. Stay away from it. And if it's moving in that direction, whether the other person acknowledges it or not, that person needs to be seeing somebody else. They need to be talking to somebody else. I'm telling mean, look, y'all think I'm old, I don't deal with stuff? These old, y'all remember I said Wednesday night, these old women chase me around on walkers, wheelchairs, canes, everything, man. And I, man, look, and I, I don't want, I don't want that smoke. I don't want nobody. I'm, I'm really enjoying my life. I had the best wife ever. She spoiled me for 39 years. You really don't want to, you really don't want a spoiled man like me. I'm trying to tell you. You ain't even going to live up to the standard, man. You don't even want that smoke. Yeah, so if it's moving in that direction, whether the other person's acknowledge it or not, that person need to be seeing some, somebody else. Now, you know at, at this church, we got processes and procedures to help avoid the pitfalls. And, and, and I talked about it even at my residence. Ain't no female coming over there alone. That ain't, that ain't happening. I remember when my wife used to have a rule, if, you know, if they under 80 years old, they don't get no hugs from me. <laughs> that was her rule. She was like, if they under 80, uh-uh, I catch you hugging on me, we gonna fight. I, I, I never had dinner with another woman alone. That wasn't, you know, in my family. Now I might stop at Bell's house and get some catfish, 
But <laughs> if it wasn't family, I wasn't eating at no 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 woman's house alone. <laughs> and definitely didn't spend time with another woman without my wife there. And 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 even those cases were really rare. You know, most of the time they they be like somebody that need to talk to her. They ain't even trying to talk to me. So not only because I do not trust my own flesh, but because of the appearance of evil is so obvious. And even when we don't think of it, it's there. So purity. That's what purity. There's no wiggle room there. These last two words are what we call I don't know if I'm going to spell this. Okay, I'll tell you what it is. It's called a, a hapax legomenon. That's a Greek terminology. Wow. It's two words. H-A-P-A-X. Next word, L-E-G-O-M-E-N-O-N. Hapax legomenon. Now, it's a Greek a term that literally means said once. That means something was mentioned only one time in the Bible, in all the Bible. And in this case, the word here in our list is lovely. It's crazy because you, you hear Australians, they, they, they toss that term, term around like it ain't nothing. Call some big old brolic dude. I know what a lovely fellow. <laughs> I mean, lovely. Brother, anyway, I call lovely. You know, and I've heard, actually heard, you know, I heard that word used growing up in the hood. You know, people talking about this situation. You hear like, yo, what's good, man? You all right? Yeah, everything lovely. You know, yeah, so I've, I've heard it tossed around, you know, like that. One reliable author writes this. There are those whose minds are so set on vengeance and punishment that they call forth bitterness and fear in others. Now, others whose minds are so set on criticism and rebuke, they call forth resentment in others. But the minds set on things lovely, kindness, sympathy, forbearance, that is a winsome individual. It's, it's what I call one of those magnetic qualities when you have this loveliness about you. People want to be with you. They're drawn to you. Now, I ain't bragging on myself. I'm a lovely dude. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you why I say that. I'm going to tell you why I say that. And I'm not bragging on me, but this is real. I actually had uh, one of my neighbors, you know, and she, was this a she? Was this she? Yeah, it was a she. One of my neighbors. And she said, you always walk around smiling. I'm supposed to walk around with the grizz on? I mean, I'm happy. She said, you always walk around smiling, and you just got this thing. You know, if you stand still long enough, I'm going to invite you to church. You know what I mean? And I don't know. And I've never had a problem making friends. I mean, I meet somebody everywhere I go. And you should have that kind of personality, even when folks is acting crazy. I had a woman in a, sto in a grocery store one time, and I told you all this before. This lady was just snapping on me in front of her kids. And I could see her babies was embarrassed. Them babies, man, was so embarrassed that their mom was acting like that. She was calling. Now, I'm in line at the 
you know, waiting for the self-checkout, she cut in front of me. And I just called her attention to the fact that, I said, excuse me, ma'am, I was waiting in line. So lady snapped, went off on me, calling me all out my name and everything. And you know what I said to her? I said, God bless you. And you know what the woman said? God bless you. <laughs> she started stuttering and blessed me back. <laughs> well, that's weird. <laughs> no, but a person with a, a, a winsome personality is the kind of person that, you know, people want to be around. So we should be, we should be that kind of, th th those kind of people. Uh, I told you I've actually heard that word. But let's see here. People want, people will want to be with you. They're drawn to you. There is a warmth and a rare sense of caring about you that they want to be around when they think that you're a lovely individual. The Greek word can be broken into two words. There's another, what that, that term literally means, okay, I'm talking about commendable now. We can move on to the, the word commendable. And that's the, the, the final word. Finally, whatever is commendable, or that word commendable, in some of your, um, some of your Bibles is going to say, or good report. The term literally means fair speaking. The Greek word can be broken into, into two words, into the words fair speaking. The word attractive would be a good synonym. Whatever is attractive, appealing, this quality, by the way, makes a good impression on others, and it's an impression that is a true one. Now, finally, we get to one of my favorite words, or one of the synonyms of that word, it's synonymous with commendable, the word gracious or grace-filled. That's talking about you, Pastor. I remember uh, back with a great deal of gratitude, uh, individuals who were instrumental in, in my maturity as a Christian. And I, I mentioned three of them here, just thinking back at how instrumental they were. Uh, one of them, he, he went on to be with the Lord already. Well, two of them. And one of them was Pastor uh, T.A. Body Bishop, T.A. Body. And he was so patient with me. Because, um, man, I was, I was, I, I used to be, I mean, debating this dude, and I'm on the word, I'm wrong as two left shoes. I was so wrong. And I'm steady debating this man, and he's, you know, twice my elder, and he knows that he knew the word. And I had all these twisted scriptures I'm running at this dude. And that man told me squarely, he said, son, if what you believe is supported by the Bible, he said, then you shouldn't be able to, to research it and to study it. If it's supported by the Bible, we'll stand. I took it as a challenge. Boy, everything, it almost falling apart. Boy, that stuff, I didn't have that stuff, man, I believed in, man, and that word of faith movement, that stuff didn't even, wasn't even supported by scripture. And, but that man was so patient with me. He never got rude. He never got angry. He was so kind. And, and I had to actually call him and thank him. You know, for I actually got the chance to thank him for being that that supportive. Pastor Woodrow Walker, it's another one.
man, he helped me grow in grace, bringing people to the cross. You know, when he's the one that was like, okay, I'm going to give you that room upstairs on Monday night in the church. He said, only people can come up there are people that are going to be in the support groups. And when nobody was showing up and I'm up there on Monday nights burning up all the electricity and everything, got, all, got lights on and everything, I'm up there sitting up there by myself. You know, I'll set the chairs up in a circle. See, people, this is why you got, you got to remember, you got to be consistent and you got to stay diligent. Okay? Just because don't, ain't nobody showing up at first don't mean it ain't going to happen. I was sitting them chairs up and sitting them around in a circle. And I said, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to teach this class to the angels. And that's what I did. I would go through the material like every chair was full. And I'd close up at the right time and turn the lights off and I'd go home. And when pastor get the sign-in sheet, when nobody's being on name on there but mine. And he said, you know, I see how it's going. But then guess what? They started picking up dudes from the, uh, from the homeless shelters and all that. Then they had a ministry to the prisons. I had, I forgot about this. I had a man hit me up two weeks ago that came through that program. I hadn't talked to that man probably 10 years, maybe more. You know how long ago that was. And he, he, it was his birthday, and he said, brother, I just wanted to thank you. He said, I made it to 78 years old. He said, man, and it was because you helped me. This was one of the most ornery Negroes you would ever see in your life. Oh, he was angry for no reason. But, you know, I struggled a lot with them dudes. But, man, God did the work in those cats. He did the work in them. Now, that was Pastor Woodrow that gave me that opportunity to facilitate like that. And then there's one person I, I mention all the time. And... That's Mary Johnson. You know, out of, all, out, of, out of a lot of people, man, that made an impact in my life, uh, some of y'all know who Mary Johnson is. Surely, Pastor does, and Mother Bell, that's her mother. And, and I told y'all before, how much I got my own mother, but this Mary Johnson made an impact on me. And, you know, she did stuff, man, she didn't have to do. You know, like, she supported me. When we was in the Baptist church, she was just a baby then. But when we was in the Baptist church, she said she was coming down to hear me sing my first song. I said, Mom, you coming down here? She said, yeah, baby, I'm going to be there when you sing that song. And her and Miss Bunny, remember Miss Bunny? They came down here in this trailer. You remember that big old thing? Yeah, they came down here in a big old mobile home trailer thing. You know, one of them, one of them big old joints pulled that thing up there in front of the house. And she came to church. And when I hit that song, Boy, mom jumped up, her hat flew off. She went running around that church. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, man, she made such an impact on me, man. You know, when uh, she never, you know, I don't know if I would ever treat a child, you know, like that, not really knowing them. She never, like, even I, I had so many flaws, and I was, you know, not this person that I am today, but she always loved me. That, and, and see, that, that's, a, that's a lesson. I remember the words of wisdom that were shared with me to always be grateful for the gift of life and never take it for granted. 
You're going to pass through this journey once. Y'all hear me? You never have the same birthday twice. You'll never be in a church service exactly like this with the same people again. You only pass through once. There were people, I didn't idolize these people around me, but being with all, being with all the people I previously just mentioned was a unique experience for me. They were people that, you know, I, I greatly respected them. I didn't idolize them. But never once did they let me down. Never once. Even though they lived with their own physical issues, of course, our pastor here, grace-filled, commendable. She's one of these grace-filled, commendable people. You know, I watched her from a child. I knew, you know, she's heard me say this before. I knew there was, I knew God had his hand on her. You know, she supported me when my whole family thought I was going crazy. You remember when we left World Changers then, they thought I was losing my mind. And I was like, no, we got to get out of here. I started having Bible studies at my house. I was like, we got to go. And the only one that would, I would be reading the scripture, she'd be right behind me. That's right, Daddy, right. <laughs> it does say that right here. You see what Daddy said? <laughs> she was on it, man. <laughs> and she had my, and she, I knew God had his hand on her. What child you know is in middle school and the teachers want to pull that child out of class so that that child could give them counsel on their marriage. She was so filled with the Holy Ghost and so on fire, some of them kids didn't even want to invite her to birthday parties. They said, she's going to come over here talking about Jesus. I knew God, I knew God was going to use her. I'm telling you. Now, you might not want to send your kids to UGA, but... <laughs> No, but pastor, I've learned a lot from her, you know, as far as like um, handling certain circumstances, you know, certain habits uh, that you may have when you minister. And listen to her. She, she can give you good points. She can give you good points, and you can learn a lot from the way she handled people. Like she'll, she'll meet, like we was out on the outreach. We were up here. Remember that year I had the chef thing on? I'm cooking out there. and we, What were we doing? We're out there washing cars. What were we doing? We was doing something. It was an outreach. And some dude, I don't know, Indian or something, he walked up and just wanted to start a debate. She ain't like, she ain't like run. She, I was like, okay, she got it handled, you know. And she will cook you in a debate. You cook you, you talk, start talking about that Bible, you get ready to get roasted. <laughs> yeah. And she stood right there and, you know, answered every question. I was like, and you can learn something from that. You know, so having people that are commendable is a blessing. Paul says, now as he turns the corner, uh, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice. Having just listed six qualities, he now turns to the practical side and says, there are things that my life represents to you people of Philippi, and I want to urge you to practice them. 
You see your pastor live out her life in front of you every day. Some of y'all be at the house all the time. So you know how she lives. The Amplified Bible says it this way. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in daily life. Not once in a while, not once a week. And the God who is the source of peace and well-being will be with you. The Philippian church has had a front row seat to view the apostles' life in action. Paul admonishes the church to daily practice the same things he has taught them, imparted to them, what he has said to them, and what they witnessed, what was witnessed by them. He lets them know that it's not simply the peace of God they will find if they do this, but the very God of peace himself will be with them. He said he'll be with you. This is told from a, a sister-in-law's perspective. But listen to this. My brother-in-law opened the bottom drawer of my sister's bureau and lifted out a tissue wrap package. This, he said, this is not a, a slip. This is lingerie. He discarded the tissue and handed me the lovely slip. It was exquisite. Silk, handmade, trimmed with a cobweb of lace. The price tag was astronomical. The tag was still attached. Jan, that was her name, Jan, bought this the first time he said we went to New York at least eight or nine years ago. I said she never wore it. She was saving it for a special occasion. He said, well, I, he said, I guess this is the occasion. He took the slip from me and uh, put it on the bed with the other clothing. We were taken to the mortuary. His hands lingered on the soft material for a moment. Then he slammed the drawer shut and turned to me and said, don't you ever, ever save anything for a special moment. Every day alive is a special moment. She said, I remember those words. I remember those words through the funeral and the days that followed. When I helped him and my niece attend her, all the sad chores that followed and, and, and unexpected death, I thought about all the things that she had not seen or heard or done. I thought about the things that she had done without realizing how special they were. I'm still thinking about his words, and they've changed my life. I'm reading more and dusting less. I'm now not saving anything we use. We now use our good china and crystal for every special event, <laughs> such as losing a pound, <laughs> getting the sink unstopped, the first Camilla Blossom. I'm not saving my good perfume for special parties. Clerks at the hardware stores and tellers at the banks have noses that function as well. As my party going, friends. Someday, 
and one of these days are losing their grip on my vocabulary. It's those little things left undone that would make me angry if I knew that my hours were limited. Angry because I put off seeing good friends whom I was going to get in touch with someday because I had written certain letters that I intended to write. And on and on she goosed. And every morning when I open my eyes, I tell myself, today is special. Isn't that good? I care about how many days, put it this way. I don't care about how many doctoral degrees, all kind of degrees. You can have more degrees than a thermometer. That, that's cool. That's cool. But I care more about how many days you find fulfillment and excitement in your life. If it's ministry, yo, live it out. Do it. Who knows? It might be your last day.